topic tonight, as I'm sure you know, is making tough decisions, listening to God's voice as you make daily life decisions. And the speaker is Jamie. Jamie Cleeton, actually, he's right over here with the hat on. He looks like he's 12, but he, yes, is a very dynamic and passionate speaker, as you will find out. Christ has led him on numerous adventures spanning the globe, and now he uses those experiences to invite young adults like yourselves into the great adventure and that of following Christ into the fullness of life. He has been active in youth ministry for four years and has been speaking professionally since 2008. He has been blessed to speak to thousands of people at numerous events such as high school and college retreats, Festival of Praise at Franciscan, Diocesan Youth Conferences, High School Assemblies, etc., etc. Jamie currently lives in San Diego and is married to his lovely wife, Grace, for four years now, and is the dad of a two-year-old, Cyrus, and two beautiful three-week-old baby girl twins. So check it out. He's going to show you pictures, adorable. So help me welcome Jamie Clayton. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Carrie. All right. Good evening, everyone. Well, Carrie already stole my first joke, which is I'm not 17 years old. Um, I get that everywhere I go. Um, I'm actually 27. I've been, like uh, Carrie said, I've been married uh, four years now. And surprisingly, I'm still awake right now because I have three-week-old three twin daughters, um, Eliana Grace and Clara Grace. Um, my son, two-year-old son, Cyrus James. Here, I can show you. I got a few pictures here. This is my goofball son, Cyrus. Um, a lot of people say he's got my personality. Um, I don't know. Uh, he, he cracks me up every day, especially like the like suavo, like open chest here. He did that himself. That was at a wedding. He was a dancing machine. Um, these are our twin daughters. <laughs> Me and my brother-in-law were, we had literally just gotten back from the hospital. My brother-in-law and sister were over and we were just about to chomp into some burritos. And then me and him just look at each other and we have this moment of like perfection of like, we need to do this. And we don't even speak a word. And we walk into the room where the girls are sleeping and we just set the burritos down, still haven't said anything to each other and just took this picture. And people have been obsessed with this picture. Like my dad sent it around his work and people are like, you should submit that to like a competition. I'm like, what competition? Burrito, burritosandbabies.com. You know, I don't know. Um, but uh, so yeah, I'm, a, I'm the youth minister at Sacred Heart in Ocean Beach. Um, I went to uh, the Franciscan University of Steubenville. For college, I got my degree, uh, a double degree in uh, theology and catechetics with a concentration in youth ministry. Um, I love being Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Um, I kind of have an interesting life, though, is that I, I went to an evangelical Protestant junior high and high school uh, where I was really challenged on my faith being the only Catholic there. Um, and it really caused me to really have to fight for my faith, which made me eventually want to go to Franciscan University and just kind of learn really the, th the theology behind um, what I believed, and it really made me who I am today. Um, I'm excited to be here. I, I spoke at Theology and Tap a year ago, um, and I, I was able to do the uh, Diocesan Young Adult Retreat a year ago. Um, I'm a San Diego native. Uh, I've, I'm actually, Sacred Heart of Ocean Beach, where I work, is the, the parish I grew up in, the, par uh, the parish that my, uh, my parents were married at, so it's cool to be, to be back home. Um, so yeah, that, that's enough about me, um, and uh, We'll, we'll have a time for, for questions, so please, if you have any questions or anything like that, um, I can't guarantee I'll have the answer, but uh, we'll, we'll look into it. Um, and so write it down if you have any questions, because we'll be doing it at the end of the talk. Um, but let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, I thank you that you, uh, you've gathered us here today, that you've called us as young adults to, uh, to live for you, to live for your glory. Lord, sometimes we just hit points uh, in our journey and on the road where we don't know what to do. And that's where you call us into, dis into discernment, Lord. Help us in this time uh, to understand better how to discern your will in our lives and how to seek you through that. Bless this time and speak through me, Lord. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so uh, I first want to apologize to this table. Uh, this is what I would formally call the spray zone. Um, so you might want to just, like, cover up your food. Um, and also, I'm used to being able to move a lot. I kind of move a lot when I speak. Well, I can't really move this way because of the screen. And if I move this way, I'm definitely falling into the pond. So um, if I get kind of antsy and like this, you'll know why. Um, okay, I want to start with a story. I love, um, I love telling stories. And uh, this next story is one I don't tell very often. Uh, but it's a really funny story. So when I was uh, studying at Franciscan University, uh, I got to go on a study abroad program, and we lived in Austria for three and a half months. It's really an incredible, incredible time. You're living in a 14th century Carthusian monastery. There's literally, this place is so holy. They've dug, they've dug up multiple monks, like in the ground who were buried there, and found them incorrupt. But the Carthusian monks actually sign a contract to not become a saint, that they will never be recognized as a saint. That's how, like, holy and humble they are. Um, so this is like literally the, the grounds of, of saints and that we walk on and get to live there and go to school there. And um, we travel every weekend. And uh, my first weekend, we had this incredible encounter, which is what I'm going to tell you. Uh, me and three of my best guy friends, Matt, Pete, and Dan, we went to Paris. Um, raise your hand if you've been to Paris before. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Paris is awesome. I, I love Paris. Everyone gives, like, Paris and the French a really hard time. They're, they were awesome. Like, everywhere we went, they were like, do you need help getting somewhere? I'm like, you know, is, is it that obvious for, like, lost Americans, you know? But they were, they were great. Um, and Paris was awesome. So one day we did a spur-of-the-moment trip um, to Normandy. So, like, this is going to, like, the opposite side, you know, going towards the coast of France. And we wanted to go see, like, you know, all the World War II history of, of, of Normandy, France. Um, and so we just hopped on a bullet train and went across France. So we arrived there, and we're hoping to get a, a, a tour guide because it's, I mean, it's miles and miles. Like, we don't have a car. You, you've got to have someone, a tour guide taking you to get to all the destinations in Normandy. So we get off in the train station, and we get there, and all of a sudden, right away, this guy, he, he looks like he's like 90 years old, walks up to us, and he's got a trucker hat on. And his trucker hat is like one you'd get for free at a business conference. And it's it, in Sharpie is X'd out, like whatever the logo is. And on it says private guide written in Sharpie. Here, let me show you a picture. Okay, that's what his hat looked like. You can kind of see it. Private guide, okay? And that's all I said. This is like the Sharpied out emblem, okay? Okay. In Europe, you're always watching out for people trying to scam you, right? Okay? And I was like, this is like the most dead giveaway sign of someone trying to scam us. Like, and this guy's speaking in a thick, thick German accent. And he's like, you know, I, I'm not even going to try to do a German accent because I can't do it. And he's like, are, he's like you want to go on a tour today? And we're like, no, 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 man, no, man. We couldn't even understand him. Like, no spare change, you know? And he's like, no, no, you want to go on a tour? And we're like, no, we're going to go with someone else, you know, a little more official than, like, Sharpie private guide. And um, he's like, okay, but you're not going to find any deals today. And we're like, what are you talking about? He's like, it's, it's Sunday, and no, there's no other tour guides that'll do this. And we're like, sorry, we're going to check that out for ourselves. And we go walk around to all these stores that are supposed to have tours. Everyone's closed. And we're like, okay, I think, I think we have to go with the Sharpie tour guide, you know? And so we walk back, and his name was Hans. Awesome. And um, so we go back to Hans, and we're like, all right, like, wh what do we need to do? And he's like, well, you'll need to pay me uh, 100 euros up front, and I'll, I'll drive you around. And he's like, and he was like really big. He's like, it's got to be up front, and you need to put it in my hands right now. You know, I'm like, another red flag. I'm like, this is so stupid. And, and he's like, no, I got a really nice car. I'll drive you around, take you wherever you want to go. I know the back roads. He's like, and, and, and everything in us was like, don't do this right now. But we're like, we have no other choice. If we want to see Normandy, this is our chance. Um, so he walked us out to his car, which is such a fine looking specimen. Um, this is his car. I don't know if you noticed the duct taped window over there. Um. But uh, <laughs> that's my traveling outfit. Um, <laughs> I don't know why they knew I was an American. Um, the other outfit, the one I'd wear on Saturdays, was the American flag, you know, pants. Um, 
So this is his car, and we just, everything in us, and, and then he's like, oh, we have, we have all of our stuff, he's, and we're like, where are we going to put our stuff? We can't fit it in the car. And he's like, oh, I got a friend who owns a hotel. We'll, we'll store it at his, at his hotel. And I'm like, no way. Like, you're just going to take our stuff. But we, we were idiots, and so we just did it. And so we dropped our stuff off. We dropped our stuff off at this hotel that he, he did know the person working there. I'm like, okay, well, they're all in on this scam together. Okay. And so we drop all of our stuff off. We get into his duct-taped car, and he's like, all right, first stop, the bank. I'm like, what? He's like, you, we're going to go to the bank, and you're going to get me my money. I was like, okay. So we stopped at the bank. We got 100 euros, and we placed it into his hands. I'm like, well, I really don't know where this is going to take us. Um, and we start going, and my friends, Pete, Dan, and, uh, and Matt were nice enough. They, they made me sit in the front. Um, so I'm sitting in the front trying to talk to Hans, and the, when we're on our way to our first destination, I, Pete pokes on my shoulder, and I'm like, what? And I turn around, and he's like, Jamie, Jamie. And I was like, what? And he's, he's like, there's a bottle of wine back here. I was like, why is there a bottle of wine in this guy's car, you know? And it's stuck in the, the, the seat behind. I was like, don't worry about it. We're, we're on the road. We're fine. We're driving. So we get to our first destination, and we go off. And this is where uh, it's, it's a cliffside where the, ra- the Army Rangers went up, and we go. But we, before the Army ran- Rangers scaled the cliffs, we just pummeled with bombs this uh, hillside. So we go along. I can actually show you a picture later of the, the hillside just with holes in it, huge holes from the bombs. It was a cool trip to see Normandy. And um, we get out, we see it, and we're like, okay, this is really cool. We come back to find this. We come out of the car, and, and Hans, oh, oh, here, I forgot to say this. Hans said, I'm not going to go with you. I'll take you to destinations. You just go walk around. I'm like, of course. You know, you drop us off, and then you leave. You've got our money. You've got our luggage. What's going to stop him from leaving? But we still kept doing it. And we just went off. We came back. Surprisingly, his car was still there. And also was this. <laughs> Notice the leopard skin shorts. Very nice. Um, his tour guy had. So he was passed out on the grass in the parking lot uh, on his, like, car shade, you know, the one he put in the windshield. Okay. We get in the car. We start driving. And Pete taps on my shoulder again. Jamie. I was like, what? I'm trying to, like, maintain a conversation with Hans. He's like, the bottle of wine, it's empty. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, well, we're already this far in, so we might as well keep going. At this time, Hans is a lot more talkative. He's telling us a lot more things. Uh, it, it turns out he was actually in the Nazi youth when he was in Germany. He was a, he was a teenager during World War II and was telling us all about what Germany was like, and he was taking us along. Uh, it ends up, this was like the best tour of our life. He took us to so many secret places. It was awesome. And he knew everyone, and everyone knew Hans. Everyone knew Hans, everywhere you went. And he would talk and tell us stories, all these stories you never would have heard. And it, the guy was crazy. I remember we got to one of the coastlines. He's like, all right, you go to this museum. He drops stuff in a museum. He's like, a mile away is the beach. I'm going to go down there. At this time, like, I feel like he's like my grandpa. I'm like, dude, I trust you. Do whatever you want. Like, you're the man. And so we go to this museum. We walk down to the coast. We find him. We find his car down there. And we're like, where's Hans? We look in the water. And no one else is in the water. But Hans is out there just in a Speedo, just, like, going around and jumping around. Like, this guy, like, owned the place. It was crazy. And then after he was done, he just went and chatted with people. He had a bathrobe in his car. And he would just... Just start talking to people in his bathroom. I'm telling you, this guy, this is the most interesting man in the world. This man is, okay? Um, but, like, the places he would take us were incredible. This is the first place I was telling you, like the coastline with the, where you can see blatantly where all the, all the bombs were hit. He would take us to all these, like, hidden chateaus and everything like that. Um, he'd take us to, like, just ports that, like, you couldn't even get here if you were a tourist. This is just, like, hidden little tiny ports. And he knew people in these places, and he would just chat it up and just say, go do what you want. We're gonna, I'm going to talk to this guy. Uh, what else happened? So there's Hans and all of us. Uh, if you ever go to Normandy, find Hans, okay? The, the dude's the man. And it was just like, you get into these kind of situations all the time. I mean, you guys who've traveled Europe, 
You know what I'm talking about. You, stuff like this happens all the time. When I was in, the day before this in Paris, uh, me and all these guys, except Hans, we actually got locked in a Paris metro station. So we had to sleep there the whole night. <laughs> like, we didn't know that they actually locked it, you know? Like, they locked the doors and you can't get out. Um, that was an adventure. That's another story. Um, so why I tell this story is, um, is just like Hans, um, you know, it, it may be scary. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of doubt about Hans and his abilities and his drinking habits. Um, but like Hans, but in a much better way, um, Christ is our tour guide on this earth in our life. Um, and he's leading us to somewhere. Now, we don't necessarily know that destination, and that's kind of what makes it scary. <laughs> it's like we didn't know where Hans was taking us, what was going to happen. But the Lord is taking us somewhere and um, is leading each one of us to our vocation, is leading each one of us to joy, to happiness, to fulfillment. Um, you know, this can be clearly seen in Scripture, that the Lord is leading us. The Lord wants, you know, I have a, a plan for you, says the Lord. You know, a plan to prosper you, a plan for your good, for your welfare. Um, the Lord is leading us somewhere. Um, the catechism says this awesome quote. I'm really sorry about my music stand right in front of you. Um, the desire for God is written in the human heart because man is created by God and for God. And God never ceases to draw man to himself. Only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. So we're constantly searching and Christ is constantly leading and somewhere in the middle, you have the map, you have the GPS called discernment. Um, and there isn't exactly an easy road in that discernment. There's a lot of forks in the road where you're like, I don't know what to do. And tonight I want to talk about that, but I think sometimes, especially as young adults, when we hear the term discernment, the automatic discernment it's associated with is vocational discernment. Um, tonight, I don't, I will mention it, and it's a part of discernment, but tonight isn't about vocational discernment, because we need to discern every day. Today is about learning everyday discernment, everyday decision-making, how to follow the Lord in the everyday discernment. And I think that's a much more practical, because really, that everyday discernment should be the, the meat of our vocational discernment. Um, and so I want to talk more about the every day, every choice that surrounds us of whether to go talk to this person, whether to go hang with this person, whether to take this job, whether to do this ministry, whether to date this person, whether all the, 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 the smaller stuff, okay, um, that, that is a decision making. Um, a little bit about myself and my kind of discernment uh, journey. Um, my parents uh, described me as, as a little kid as a very happy-go-lucky, just fun kid. Um, I'm, I'm the younger one. I got my older sister two years above me and she was like really territorial, really kind of bossy. And I guess I was just like relaxed. She would steal my toys and I, I would just like laugh. I'd be like, it was fun while I had it. You know, like, I guess like I was just like, they actually have a video of my sister opened a piano, like a, a baby piano and she's playing it. And then other people were opening presents, so she had to go help them open presents. And then you see, like, and I was a really fat baby. You see, like, boof, boof, me walk across the screen. And I start playing it, and my sister, like, perks up. She hears the piano being played. And she bolts across the room, and she elbows me out of the way. And she takes it back and then walks off with my piano. And then my dad pans back to me. And literally, it's so funny, you just see me going like this. Like, it was just like, it was like, man, that was awesome. I played it for a minute, you know, like, um, I was just, I, I was a happy kid. Well, come like junior high and high school, I don't know what came in, I, I don't know what happened in my life, but um, I became a very stressed out, anxious, fearful person. Um, and especially worrisome about the future, worrisome about every, I, I fr from being a very kind of free, fun-loving kid, if I describe myself in junior high and high school, I was not that. I was very bound up. I was not a very free person. Um, and it wasn't until I had people explain to me how to make decisions based on the Lord. See, I, I knew I existed. I knew, I knew a lot of, I, I never, I grew up in a good Catholic family, and so I was always trying to do what the Lord asked, but I, 
I tried so hard. I was like, wanted so badly to follow the Lord that it caused me to lose my freedom. It caused me to just get anxious and stressed and lose my joy and lose my hope because I wanted what the Lord wanted so badly. And those two, sh- that doesn't click. And it wasn't until I learned how to discern, how to follow the Lord, how to see where he was calling me in everyday decisions, that I started to have freedom. That's why I don't know if you saw my first slide, but it, the sl- slide said discernment, acting in freedom. Because when we learn how to make decisions to follow the Lord, when we learn how to truly discern everyday life, that brings us to freedom. And that's where the Lord wants us. He wants us in freedom. Um, so let's jump into this. So what I'm going to be using for tonight, kind of as like an outline for how to discern with the Lord, is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Um, it's the story of Peter walking on water. Um, I know a lot of you guys are familiar with that. So it's from Matthew 14. So I'm going to read it here. And I'm going to split this up into three parts about how we can learn how to discern the Lord in our lives, just like Peter had to learn. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, first of all, I love this passage because I think sometimes we have the wrong idea of Jesus. I think we think of him as a very serious person, like that was serious all the time, or someone who's just like floating and giving wisdom. You know, like when like, I love thinking about the humanity of Jesus. He's totally prank, playing a prank on the disciples here. There's no way he's not. You know, he's, he could have like, you know, he could have just appeared in the boat. That would have been a lot easier, you know. But he's like, dude, they're on the storm. They're on a boat. They're scared. This is going to be awesome. You know, he's like, just starts walking on water. And they're like freaking out, you know. Like, that's totally Jesus just messing with them. That's like awesome. I love that. And, and I love Peter because Peter's first instinct is like, you know, everyone's scared. And then once they realize it's Jesus, then, then Peter's like, he's such a little kid. Peter's such a little kid. I love it. And he's like, I want to do that. You know, that's his first thing. He's like, wow, that looks like fun. And so Peter's like, hey, Jesus, can I, can I come out and do that? And, you know, Jesus is like, yeah, come on out. Um, so that's, that's not the point I wanted to make. Um, but that's just, I just love reading scripture and just like, I don't know, it's just funny. I, I, I just think the humanity of Jesus is lost a lot of times. Um, okay, the three things I want to break this up into. Um, first thing, Peter and Jesus speak, Okay. Um, then Peter gets out of the boat. Then Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus. And those are the three things I'm going to relate about discernment tonight. Three things. So Peter and Jesus speak, Peter gets out of the boat, and Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. So let's go back to the passage. Um, Okay. All right, let's jump into this. So this is the first part of this story, right? The first and most important part of the story. Jesus comes, walks on the water, and they speak to each other. Peter and Jesus speak to each other. You know, Peter realizes it's not a ghost, that it's Jesus. And then Peter says, Lord, if it is you, call me out unto the water. And then Jesus says, come. This is the first thing we can learn about discernment and making decisions is the most foundational and most important part of discernment. And this is a very obvious one to all of us. Prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And I think we know that, but our actions don't follow that. You see, guys, if we don't pray, 
we aren't following the Lord. If we aren't discussing with him, we can't follow his will. A Christian without prayer is a Christian without Christ. Bottom line. A Christian without prayer is a Christian without Christ. Um, We don't pray enough. We can't know what God wants for us unless we're asking him. And I mean really talking to him on a daily basis, on an undistracted basis, and on an honest basis. Um, JP2 has this cool quote. Let's see. I think I put it on here. Nope, didn't. Um, This is from uh, Pope John Paul II. In the hidden recesses of the human heart, the grace of a vocation takes the form of a dialogue. Our vocation at the beginning takes the form of a dialogue. It is a dialogue between Christ and an individual in which a personal invitation is given. Christ calls the person by name and says, come follow me. The call, this mysterious inner voice of Christ, is heard most clearly in silence and prayer. If we want the call of Christ, if we want our vocation, it starts first, foremost, foundationally, in prayer, in that dialogue. Um, And I think in prayer, we have no problem talking. I think we would all agree we kind of come to prayer. I, I know that's me for sure. I talk a lot. And we don't listen a lot. That's not good for discernment. <laughs> you know, if we're just talking and he's never telling us where to go. You know, if you're constantly telling the GPS where you want to go and then you're never hearing the directions, you know, there's a lot of recalculating going on there. Recalculating, recalculating. You know, like you need to listen to what they're saying. Um, now here's where, here's where the the challenging part comes in this. I think we all knew the prayer. We all knew that. I think the real challenge when we're praying and we're listening for God's voice, the question is this. What does God's voice sound like? That's important. If we're saying, Lord, where do you want me to go? And then we're listening for a voice. This is what I get from my teenagers all the time in my high school youth group. They're always like, Jamie, you hear me? You're always saying, like, follow the Lord, listen to what he's saying, pray. And they're like, I don't know what his voice sounds like. And, I, and, and for me, like, when I was preparing this talk, I began thinking, I'm like, yeah, that's, a, that's really hard. Like, how, how do you describe that, you know? L- but let me ask you a question. Okay, um, you're right here. Um, what's your name? Dustin? Okay, Dustin, let me ask you a question. If you heard in the other room, say there wasn't this much white noise, no one else was here. In the other room, you couldn't see, your, one of your parents, say your mom, was in the other room. Would you be able to recognize her voice talking in there and know, that's my mom? Yes, okay. Now, if I want to know, I can't see her, but I want to know, okay, well, which, I want to know what your mom's voice sounds like so I can recognize her voice. Can you describe to me what your mom's voice sounds like? But, like, any, anything, you know, like, I mean, you, you've, n- like, a- anyone here? Like, if, if I were to ask you the same question I'm asking Dustin, you, you have, like, how would you describe your mom's voice? Thick German accent. Thick German accent. Okay, well, that's, <laughs> there's, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah? Big you, okay. Okay, let's get accents out of the window here, because that's the dead giveaway. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um. I think the, the thing is, okay, if you didn't have accents, let's say, like, God's universal, okay, no accents, okay, there's my, <laughs> found a way around it. Um, we can't really describe voices, like, and especially if we were to describe, like, you can describe, like, someone you don't know very well, oh, yeah, well, it's kind of raspy. Okay, well, that doesn't help me to know whose voice that is, but, but yet, like, we could know, like, if I were to describe perfectly my mom's voice to you guys, you still, I guarantee, in that room of people talking, you would not pick out her voice. Not a chance. But I could. I could. And Dustin could. And why is that? Not because he knows the characteristics of his mom's voice. It's not about knowing the characteristics. It's about just knowing it. And why? Why do we know our parents' voice when we hear it? 
beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know that's them. Familiar. Because why? We've heard them since when? We've heard them since we, when we were born. That's the same with the Lord. Guys, if, if we want to know, okay, what's the Lord's voice sound like? It's about time. So I think a lot of times when we think praying discernment, we think, okay, if I'm to discern, that means I need to go to pray and ask the Lord what to do. I'm here to challenge that I don't think that's the best way to discern. We go to pray constantly so that we learn God's voice. And then we'll hear it in everyday life. Um, John 10, the good shepherd, says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they know me. Actually, in, in Israel culture, a shepherd would spend, they would spend every day with their sheep. And their sheep, one of the dumbest animals on this planet, actually knew their shepherd's voice. That's why Christ used the analogy of a shepherd. It's because they knew, even like they weren't the smartest animal. They knew because they were with that shepherd day after day, year after year. They knew his voice. Discernment, prayer and discernment is not just about, it's not like, um, it's not like the eight ball. We go to pray and it's like, Lord, should I do this? You know, no, you shouldn't. Okay, cool. I'm glad I came to pray today. No, prayer and discernment is going to establish that dialogue, establish that relationship so that in everyday life, we hear his voice. Do you guys see the distinction there between just going like it's like a, like a, like a crystal ball kind of prayer? But that's how we treat discernment. That's how we treat prayer. When it should be about establishing a relationship so we hear him every day, whether we're in a chapel or not. All right, so that was the first part, is hearing the Lord speak prayer. Um, the second part is Peter steps out of the boat. Oh, let's see, okay. He says, Lord, if you, so they talk. Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. I think this is the most important part of this talk. We tend to think of discernment more in terms of prayer and receiving answers, and less in terms of action. Less in terms of action. Um, St. Francis de Sales said this, We must not wait for the divine majesty to speak to us in some sensible way or that he send from heaven some angel to point, out, to point out his will for us. He says, we must not wait in prayer for the Lord to speak to us. He's saying discernment comes in action. Peter did not just talk to Jesus. It was about action. Now, did he have doubts? Did he have fears? Were all of his questions answered? You know, I like, okay, everything I know about science says I will sink. Everything knows about, I know about life says this is stupid. Everything I know about fishing, because I grew up as a fisherman, and he probably had tons of his friends die from storms, says this, I should be very afraid of this right now. And yet, I'm about to literally step out of everything I know is comfortable, everything I know sensibly, but yet, I know the Lord called me. I know the Lord called me. He said, come. I just heard it. He stepped out of the boat. And because of that, the Lord honors him, and he's walking on water. Okay, another, like, fun moment. Like, have you ever sat and imagined that moment? Like, Peter got out of the boat. Like, I, I'd be like, you know, like, I just, I'm like, ah! you know, like, what would be going through your head right then? It'd be... It'd be awesome, right? Like, okay, that's just me having fun with the Bible again. Um, God can only call. God can only call us. It's up to us to step out of the boat. Um, and I think this is the hardest part for us in discernment. I will call it active discernment. There, I, I really believe that to have full discernment, you've got to have it both ways. There's prayer and actively discerning it. Go try it out. Go do it. Step out of the boat. Um, I know when I was, uh, 
when I was really struggling, it was like my freshman year of college, I was still struggling on like really being bound up, feeling like I want to follow the Lord so badly. I want him so badly that I was stressing about every moment. It's like, Lord, is this your will? I'd go to prayer. I'd go to prayer with the magic eight ball. Lord, do you want me to do this? Lord, do you want me to do this? Should I, should I date her? Should I do this? Do you want me to try to be a priest? Do you want me to go to class today? Do you want me to like, do you want me to stay in class? Is this the major you want for me? What kind of job do you want me to do? All this stuff. And I was like expecting an answer. And it was like, it, it was, it was, I was treating it like, like an eight ball. And we, we do that. And that's what I was doing until uh, my friend Steve gave, gave me this, like, this blew my mind, and, and this has changed my life forever since my friend Steve, he was praying over me, and he said, Jamie, the Lord kind of just gave me, a, like, an image for you, because I, I, I told him exactly what I just told you, that I just felt no freedom, and he said, I feel like you're like a little kid. You're like a, a, a six-year-old on a playground, and it's just you and God there, and God's your father. You know, it's God the father, and you keep going up to him and say, God, can is it cool if I do this? And he's like, is it cool? No, is it cool if I go on the slide? And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, I go on the slide and I come back. Yo, God, Father, Dad, can, can, I, can I go on the swing? Is it cool? Is, are you okay with that go on the swing? Are you okay? You know, yeah. And, and, and he's like, and, and then God comes up to you and he's like, Jamie, quit coming up to me all the time and asking me, asking me, asking me. He's like, I brought you to the playground. He's like, I'm here. And, and, and there was like this fear in me there that like, oh, what if I fall off the swing? You know, what if I go into this relationship and, and, I, and I hurt myself or I hurt the other person? Or, or what, if, what if, God forbid, this isn't the Lord's will for me? <sighs> you know, like, what, what, huh, what, the slide, it's not my, not your will. You know, like, it's absurd when we think about it in terms of a six, like a, a six-year-old with their father. But yet the Lord, the Lord has placed in our desires his desire. My mom puts it so simply, and I remember talking to my mom a week after this. Like, moms just know how to put it. And she's like, I was like just really struggling with discernment, and I felt no freedom. And she's like, Jamie, and she would always tell me this, what makes your heart go pitter-pat? <laughs> Dang. You know, like, it was just like, well, I, I want to do this. And she's like, well, that's what I think the Lord wants for you then. I want you to, like, think, if we discerned like that, how much freedom would you have? I think we think of, like, sometimes the disciples, like, they were, like, like, God was, like, forceful with them. Like, Jesus was, like, you know, come follow me. This is your will. And they're, like, dang, persecution, death, I know it's coming. No, they were excited to follow Jesus. You know why? They just saw a miracle. Almost every time there was, like, this crazy, mind-blowing miracle, and Jesus like, you want to see more of that? Come follow me. And they're like, heck, yeah, I want to follow you. They were excited. Their hearts went pitter-pat when Jesus called them. They felt freedom. You see, we think sometimes that, that God wouldn't give it. You know, no, like if I'm supposed to go to the priesthood, or if I'm supposed to be this, like, no, it's like a prison cell. You know, it's like, no, it, got, it, it will bring us freedom. It will bring us joy if that's what the Lord wants for us. That, um, where, where's this? I had another quote. Oh, okay, here's a, here's a cool quote from um, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Peter Kreeft. If you don't know him, read him. He's awesome. Um, read him. like that. Read his books. Don't read him. Um, if you truly love God and his will, then doing what you will will in fact be doing what God wills. This is from a famous theologian and philosopher. Okay, this isn't from like a youth minister just telling you guys, you know, like I feel like sometimes like this guy's legit, <laughs> you know, like, and I think this guy's going to be a saint one day. Like this guy's awesome. It's as simple as that. That's discernment. That's my mom saying, Jamie, do, do what makes your heart go pitter pat. The Lord has placed his desires on our hearts. I hope hearing this right now, if you're in a place of like, if you're, feeling bound up, if you're feeling like decision-making, you're feeling like, I don't know what to do with the job, I don't know their school. Like, I hope this brings you to a huge place of freedom because it should. God has placed his will on the desires of our heart if we just get out there and act. I think sometimes we think of God like this. 
it's like we think of God, and there's like all these pathways. We come to a fork in the road. Lord, which, fork, which pathway should I take? And he's like, left. Okay. Get to another fork, because life's full of forks in the road. Which one should I take, Lord? Go straight. You go straight. No, what if it was, that, that's, not the, it, that's not the more powerful God. I want you to compare two, two things. Is that the more powerful God? Because our God's all-powerful. Is that the more powerful God? Or is it the more powerful God that puts his desires in our hearts and we can walk and come to a fork in the road knowing that we're praying daily, knowing that we want his will, and just be able to be like, I'm going this way. I'm going this way. Knowing that he will transform the path around us. That's the more powerful God. If we are in prayer, if we are following him, if we are following you guys know, you guys know you desire his will. You know when you're pure at heart or when you're not. We know that. I think sometimes we're just not people of action enough. We're so scared when we come to a fork in the road that we just pray and pray and pray and pray and we never act trusting the Lord. This is the year of faith. This is the year of faith. Immediately when I, when I prayed, uh, I went to adoration and prayed like, Lord, what do, you, what do you want from me in the year of faith? He gave me two words, radical trust. I had twins this year. <laughs> like, he was preparing me, okay? I already, I drove here in my mom van because I already got a minivan. I had to move. I had like, I'm like, holy mackerel. This is the year of radical trust. But we keep moving forward. If we know this, God is all-loving. I hope you realize that. God is all-powerful. I hope you realize that. And all things work for the good of those who love him. Romans 8, 28. So if God is all-loving and all things are working for your good and he's all-powerful, that means everything that happens in our life, the Lord is willing it to happen. That means we are following the Lord. I think we think of the Lord's will, like, and, and here's where I think we lose our freedom and discernment, is we're like, okay, I come to a fork in the road, and if I choose right, rather than straight or left, and his plan was left, I'm done for. I'm out of his plan. You know, that's what we think of. We're like, man, I missed it. You know, and each time we take a wrong turn, we get farther and farther from his plan. Each time, no. Like, God doesn't work in A, B, or C. Good luck choosing. Which one are you going to do? You know? No. He's given us the desires of our heart. He wants us to act upon it. He wants us to follow that pitter pat. He wants us to act in freedom. But we get stuck at a fork in the road. We're like, I can't choose. The Lord hasn't given me an answer yet. I don't know what to do. Go. Act knowing in radical trust. Like Peter, step out of the boat. There's still going to be fear. There's still going to be doubts. You're still going to be like, was that God's voice I heard in the prayer time? Yes, you're still going to have that, but we need to act, active discernment. Now, all of this that I just said comes with a few disclaimers. <laughs> all right, a few disclaimers. This acting upon the desires of our heart must be accompanied by prayer. I don't want people going and be like, I chose, you know, just like I was choosing, choosing, I was doing stuff, I was going, you know, I went from this job to this job, I did this one, I like dating people for like two days, and I was like, you know, all this stuff, and it's like, I just act on the desires of my heart. You know, like, okay, <laughs> whoa, lassie. You know, like, okay. It needs to be accompanied by prayer. If you are praying, and if you are like, you like, you, you love God, then this works, the following the desires of your heart. You need to know that sometimes there's things in your mind that, that we're fallen creatures. Sometimes we'll have desires that aren't the best for us. But if we're in prayer, we know those desires aren't the best for us. So that's my disclaimer. Is like, if you're in prayer and if you're in love with the Lord and, and desiring his will, this works. As long as we know we're fallen, sometimes our desires aren't always best. We're, humans are fickle. If you know that, this works. This is discernment, acting in freedom, active discernment. So that's my, um, my second thing. Third about 
Um, let's go back again. Okay. So we have Peter and Jesus speak. Peter steps out of the boat. And then we have, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He noticed the storm. He noticed the wind around him. It doesn't say, and then when Peter stepped out of the boat, this huge gust of wind and waves came. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, and then when Peter stepped out of the boat, it got gnarly. You know, it didn't say that. It said, and then Peter noticed the wind around him. Now, if, what did it take for Peter to notice the wind around him? He took his eyes off of Jesus. The storm was there the whole time. The wind was there the whole time. But he, when he was walking out of the boat in complete trust, in complete faith, he was stepping out and he was looking at Jesus. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, there was doubt and fear, but he's like, he's my man. I'm going for him. I'm trusting in him. I'm trusting in him. And then he's getting closer and closer and he's probably like, oh my gosh, you know. And, and then he starts noticing the waves, the wind, and where's the problem? Took his eyes off of Jesus. If I were to write a book called Walking on Water for Dummies, the number one chapter would be don't take your eyes off of Jesus, okay? That's it. That's, actually, that'd be the only chapter, okay? Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Um, we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. I think sometimes when we're discerning, we almost put the choice ahead of the Lord. We put, very simply put, in every decision we make, we should be choosing Jesus. That's keeping your eyes focused on Jesus. Not, should I become a priest? Should I become a nun? Should I take this job? Should I go to this school? Should this be my major? Those are a part of it. And every time we present that question, you say, Lord, I want to find you in this. Say, Lord, I don't know whether this should be my major. I don't know what I want to do for a living. I want to find you in this. Not, Lord, tell me which one to do. Lord, help me find you in this. That, my friends, is keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's when you're truly discerning with power. He needs to be the, our focus and our goal. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first Jesus Christ. Your job, your education, your vocation will all fall in line. So to recap these three things. Peter and Jesus speak. It's all about dialogue. It's all about prayer. If we want to know how to hear his voice in everyday decisions, we need to be praying every day because then we will start to recognize his voice like the sheep know the shepherd. Step out of the boat. If we want to learn how to act in freedom, we've got to be able to act, not just sit in a chapel and pray. That is half of the equation. The other half is leaving that chapel and acting on it. And then going back and praying the next day, like, I felt freedom, or I felt peace, or I felt joy in that. You see, the two work hand in hand, prayer and action. Je Peter didn't just speak with Jesus. He acted on it. We need to be the children in that playground. We need to step out. We need to act upon the desires of our heart, which the Lord has placed there. That's when we'll find freedom. That's when you'll find your vocation. That's when we will find joy in everyday life. And through all this, keeping your eyes on Jesus, not focused on ourselves, not focused on an answer, but saying, Lord, I want to find you in this. Saying, Lord, I, wanna, I want you. Through, I, whether you give me my vocation when I'm 85 years old, I don't care. I want you. I want you. Um, now, I always like to end talks getting really, I try to get really practical. Um, 
And I think there's, there's nothing more practical in our faith than the saints. Um, the saints are like theology walking this planet. Um, and the, the first guy I'm going to talk about, like I said, is, well, he's not a saint. Um, I think he will be. Um, but um, he has some very good practical advice for this. Now, that's probably very small for you to read in the back. Um, if you have your binoculars out, please get them out. Um, he says this, Peter Kreeft says this, always begin with data. Always begin with data. Judge the unknown by the known with what you know of yourself and what God has made clear. It's okay. I remember when I was like discerning something, I would do like a, um, a like pros and cons list in my prayer time. Like I think sometimes think we're like, oh, that's not like holy enough. Like that's a good thing, right? Pros and cons. And then weigh it out and bring it to the Lord. That's good discernment. Weigh it out with data. Um, let your heart educate your mind. So it, it's both and. Let your heart. Why, why does he say let your heart educate your mind? Because if Peter would have just let his mind make decisions, he would have never stepped out of the boat. But he knew in his heart he wanted the Lord. So the education stuff didn't matter. The, the science didn't matter. Let your heart educate your mind. That's why Peter Kreef says that. All of God's signs should line up. Scripture, church teaching, human reason in your own head, which God created. The appropriate situation or circumstance, which he controls by his providence. Our conscience, our innate sense of right and wrong, basically. Our individual personal desires and instincts. And prayer. Like, it's kind of like a checks and balance system. That this stuff should line up. This is getting really practical in discernment. Look for the fruits of the Spirit, for joy, for peace, for love. You know, if you're feeling like brittle or anxious or like bound up, that's probably, that's, that's probably for a reason. We should, proper discernment following the Lord always, always leads to freedom. Always. Now, the tricky part is this. There will be attack. The evil one always attacks. And sometimes his attacks can look like anxiety, you know, can, can look like signs that are like, maybe this isn't the Lord's will for me. That's where an awesome saint named St. Saint Ignatius comes into play. If you haven't read his book, Discernment of Spirits, read it. Um, here's a little bit of stuff that he talks about. He puts it really practically. Um, how to figure out if God is speaking to you. Here's what he says. We hear three speakers in our head. We hear three. God, the evil one, and ourselves, the flesh. God, the evil one, and ourselves. The difference between God and the evil one, he uses a really cool analogy. He says, imagine like your house. So imagine you're at your house. Okay, you're sitting in your home. Obviously, your home is a place of comfort, right? You know, it's, it's where you're probably most comfortable. It's like, you sit in the home, you're on your favorite chair, you know, you're, you're kicking back, your dog's at your side, you're comfortable, okay? Um, you're, you're, you're peaceful, you're relaxing. Is God comes into our lives when, when God desires something of us, it's like a friend walking in. It's like a knock at the door. When you hear a knock at the door, no one's like, who's that? You know, like in your own home. Like no one like freaks out. Sorry if I just scared you. Um, you know, like you, you, don't, you hear a knock at the door, you're like, you're in your home. Like, okay, it's a knock at the door. I was, at, I was expecting Johnny to come over, you know? is that's how the Lord comes into our lives. That's how the Lord, like, pushes us towards something. It's like a friend. And even it can be challenging. You have a friend come over, and they could say something challenging to you. You're like, man, I think you should apply for this job. And you're like, oh, I don't think I'm qualified enough, or I'm really, I'm really afraid of what that job would call me to do. That, the anxiety of there, of being challenged, is different than the anxiety of, like, this isn't what I'm supposed to do. This, I'm, not, I'm not having fun. I'm not having joy. I'm not having peace. Those are different kinds of anxiety. And here's how, the, here's how the devil comes into our lives. Imagine you're in your home and you hear a window break. Everything tenses up, right? Like it's like, huh. Like that's how we feel when, when, when the devil is throwing stuff in our lives. When you feel anxiety, this is exactly how St. Ignatius describes it. And you, you see the difference of like a friend walking in and even if it's challenging, it's different. Then when like, then there's like, a, a, a smash on the window and then someone breaking and entering. The devil, when it comes to God's will, he, he has to break in and enter. That's why our natural soul 
yeah, it doesn't feel right. You know, like, just like you feel it in your own home. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. That's uh, St. Uh, Ignatius. Now, in times of desolation, here's another bit of incredible advice from St. Ignatius. In times of desolation, so desolation being when you're not feeling the Lord, when you're not feeling him at all, you're in prayer and you're like, man, I just don't feel you at all. I'm not, feeling, I'm not hearing your voice. I'm not feeling guided by you. I'm not feeling anything. Um, he says this, do not make a change to pray less. Our natural instinct, when we're not feeling the Lord after months and months and months or years of not feeling the Lord, he says, don't pray less, which is our natural instinct. He says, pray more. He calls it, it's Latin, um, where is it? Agare contra. He says, pray more. Pray more in times of desolation, which is really hard. Really, really hard. Um, and he says, so when we're tempted, pray more. You know, I think when, when we're discerning and we're experiencing desolation, we automatically freak out. Like when, when, when we're like, I, I can't feel you, Lord, and I really, this is a big decision. This is going to change a lot in my life, and I don't feel you. We freak out, and we make big changes. St. Ignatius says, don't do that. Here's an example from my brother-in-law's life. So my, my brother-in-law was on an eight-day silent retreat, um, and he was specifically there to discern whether to marry my sister. And he was praying, and during the first three days, he didn't, imagine, he was silent the entire time, just reading scripture and praying for like eight hours a day. Like, I, I'd be like, well, I'd be hearing the Lord a lot. You know, you gotta, something's gotta give there, you know, right? And first three days, specifically to pray about this, complete desolation. Didn't hear the Lord at all. And he was like, he was with his spiritual director and he was bawling. He's like, I don't think I'm supposed to marry Cassie. And um, the spiritual director says this. He says, Mike, come here. And he has Mike kneel down. And there's a couch in front of him. And there's a cross on that couch. And he says, Mike, go towards Jesus. He's on his knees and he starts, you know, crawling towards Jesus on the cross. He says, stop. All right, Mike, go towards Jesus. Starts moving. Now, keep in mind, Mike's been dating Cassie for two years, has felt completely called to date her, and is now feeling called to, to get engaged to her. That's why he's going on this retreat, and then he starts the retreat, complete desolation. The spiritual director says this, Mike, close your eyes. Mike, closes his eyes. Couch in front of him, cross. He says, Mike, go towards Jesus. Mike starts crawling forward towards the couch. He says, Mike, why did you go forward? And Mike said this, well, that's the last place I saw Jesus. He's like, exactly. You don't make a change just because you don't feel Jesus. You know, it's not like, you know, like you see Jesus and he's there and all of a sudden we don't feel him. It's like, oh, where is he? So I run this way, going this way. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? You know, it's not like a, a rabbit hunt. You keep going and tell the Lord, you don't make a change until you see Jesus calling you somewhere else. Then you go towards him. But what we do in desolation is we freak out. We make, oh, I don't feel him in this. I was feeling him all the way until now and now. So many people, like I've had so many discussions with my friends who are like, especially when it comes to the big discernment, like vocation, they're like, freak out in the last minute because they don't feel the Lord and they're like, this isn't supposed to happen. Like, no. Just like the spiritual director said to Mike, he knew where Jesus was, even if his eyes were closed, it didn't matter. He knew where Jesus was last and I'm going to keep going until Jesus calls me elsewhere. That's the advice of St. Ignatius in desolation. Um... I think that's all I have. Just a second. Um, oh, oh, okay. I, I, I am no saint, um, but here's my, my bit of advice. Um, based on the three things I brought from Matthew with Peter, my bit of advice for discernment. In terms of prayer, okay, I'm not a diary kind of guy. <laughs> I don't have a diary. Dear diary, today was awesome. Uh, it's not me at all. Not to diss diary people. That's not me. But when someone told me to do a prayer journal, I was completely wrong. I thought it was a diary. But what I had was just a journal. And I feel like girls are more inclined to do journaling and stuff. But I feel like prayer journals are better for guys. Because we're like all about physical. We need to see it in front of us. And when I see the Lord, what he's doing in front of me, written down, that makes discernment so much easier than like floating thoughts above me. It's like right there in front of me. So my recommendation for your prayer, discernment and prayer 
Get a journal, and then you can look back like three weeks ago when the Lord said this. Oh, yeah, here's what he said to me, and here's how I felt afterwards. You can see, and you can look back upon years, like when you first like, started the, at, at this school studying this major. You can look back four years, like this is, why I, this is why the Lord called me to this. When you're starting to feel desolation, you can prove the devil wrong. When you look in that prayer journal, you're like, no, this is why the Lord called me. Um, stepping out of the boat, active discernment. There is no better way than community. If you don't have community, then that is putting a huge crutch on how the Lord can work in your life. Because discernment is not a just about, it's not about me and God. God is so communal. The Trinity, three in one, it's in his very nature, community. We need that. If you want to be led to freedom, if you want proper discernment, it's got to be through community. Last thing, the easiest way, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, adoration. You're looking at him face to face. Jesus.